Welcome, everyone. We've got a wonderful, fun, vibrant, entertaining, joyful, you name it, podcast with the one and only Michael Motamadi. I was pronouncing your name off the podcast, and I think I got it right the first time around. So I hope you've done you justice the second time around, Michael. It was perfect. It was right on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're most welcome. So what are we talking about today? So we're, we're going to go through the career and what Michael's been doing because he's been creating waves on social media. I've been looking at your content. It's incredible on Instagram. You've amassed something over what, 50 million views or something around your content, videos, et cetera. Is that right? Or is it more? I yeah, I think now it's nearing 100 million. So we're getting up there. 100 million. Okay, so you're doing something right. Let's put yeah. it that way. So who is Michael? I hear you cry virtually from all over the world listening to this podcast. Michael's born and raised in Los Angeles. Sometimes people know it as Terangelis. And you've traveled extensively through Europe before setting up for a time in Sweden, then made your way to Toronto, you attended New York University, studied philosophy, the Iranian genius, and in preparation for a, a law degree. See, you also have taken the entrepreneurial route from what I've read. So, from all things culinary, where you were a contestant on MasterChef Canada, I think you reached, what, sixth place on that. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So Michael's good with food, by the way, folks. So if you ever go hungry, he can uh, knock out a dish or two because that's no mean achievement to reach number six on, on MasterChef, being a MasterChef fan, uh, fan myself. So you've done all kinds of things from food, Spirits, travels, entrepreneurialism. I think you basically did some stuff around 2016 where you were chief marketing officer of Rabbit Hole Spirits, which was a bourbon distillery in uh, Kentucky. Was that right? Yes, it is. When I hear the list like that, man, feels like I've done quite a bit in a short period of time. But you have. And what made me want to bring you on the cast, I love what you said on your, your website where you say no fixed address. Am I right? You're traveling the world, getting to know new cultures, whilst being a dad and a husband, and you're making all these memories, but you're also whacking out all these incredible content, discovering new kind of cuisines, cultures, and travels along the way. Yeah, it's been quite a trip. For about two years now, my wife and I decided to just leave our job, sell our home, and travel the world full time with our daughter. And it was an interesting kind of conversation that we had with ourselves. And one of the catalysts of that was obviously our daughter being born. She's now a little bit over two. And at the time, my daughter was being born and my father was retiring. And seeing the juxtaposition of these two cycles of life or where you are or where they are in life was very interesting to see and witness, right? On one end, my father had worked very hard his entire life, like a true Iranian man, and he was retiring and he was a little bit, I would say, upset or maybe even a little sad that he was retiring. And on the other end, my daughter was being born and I was remembering how hard my father was working to provide what he needed to provide for us. And at times I wasn't able to see him as much as I probably wanted to do. So as I was watching my father retire and being somewhat upset about it or sad about it, I was like, you know what, maybe grinding 10, 20 hours a day is not really the answer to life, right? Maybe those zeros in your bank account might not necessarily be the answer to life. 
Maybe it's more about spending time with your child or your wife and seeing them grow. If at the end, inevitably, you're going to be mad when you have to stop working anyways. <laughs> it's so true because we're pre-programmed from school education system, get a job, mortgage, home, do your lot for 35, 40 years, retire 65, and then we get to enjoy life. But the problem is when you're young, you've got more time and more health, generally speaking, but less disposable income. And then as you grow older, you think, now I've got more so-called income because I'm at retirement age, paid off my mortgage. I'll have more time and I'll be able to uh, do the things I want. But you, in fact, you have less time because a lot of people over the age of 65 tend to have one underlying condition or more. And people put off all the things they would love to have done later down the line, thinking that they will do it. So what I love about you, you're tearing this all apart, kind of deconstructing what it means to be successful. What does life really mean? And I agree with you. I think the ultimate success is about having a meaningful life which is having a meaningful career, meaningful relationship, trying to make a difference and living the life that you want rather than what people impose on you. And let's face it, in our culture at times, there is that pressure of lawyer, doctor, engineer, doing all of these kind of cliche things, but you're going against the grain and living your best life and how you want it. So I think that's a lot of bravery and a lot more power to you, uh, my friend, on that. How did your wife feel a new kid and now you're going to change it all up? Yeah, I think my wife's a huge supporter of mine as I am a supporter of hers. And I, and at the end of the day, we both have the same philosophy when it comes to life. Maybe even her more so than me. So her, her she basically inspires me to live this life where maybe we don't need that G-Wagon. Maybe we don't need that Ferrari. Maybe we don't need that five-bedroom house. Maybe we just need each other and our daughter. And that kind of was a big epiphany for me because I've always been an extremely spirited entrepreneur with massive goals from a very young age. It was always the PJ. It was always the private jet. When am I going to get to the private jet? When am I going to get to the private jet? And there was during this period when I was doing a lot of self-realization, if not more so an existential crisis is <laughs> probably a better way of putting it. I started realizing that there's these, this thing that I'd like to call maybe a, a happiness threshold, right? And everybody's happiness threshold is different. Some people can live in a van and be extremely happy. Some people might need a two-bedroom condo. Some people might need to travel the world. Some people might need the mansion. Some people might need the private jet. And maybe at that point, maybe you don't even never get happy, Right. But for me, I was, I started taking a nice, big, long, hard look at myself and my family. And I was like, listen, I, I want to be around here. And guess what? I can afford to be around here after all the hard work I put in. This is where my happiness threshold is right now. This is my definition of happiness. And so if I'm happy right here, what am I going after? Because I'm a big risk reward guy, right? And so if I'm going to risk everything and put everything on the line, I'm not going to be able to spend time with my daughter or my wife. I'm going to not be able to see the world or meet new cultures or really experience life for what it is because I'm trying to get to that private jet. What happens when I get there? Okay, I made it. I would have already been happy because I've already admitted to myself that this is where my happiness lies. But what happens if I don't get there? 
What happens if I just spent the next 30 years of my life trying to get there and I failed? In a sense, it's almost a lose because I just gave up my entire life to get to somewhere where I was already happy where I began. And that was a big epiphany for me to step back and say, hey, slow down. Let's take a breath. This life you live is extremely short. What are you trying to accomplish? Happiness. Okay. Are you happy? Yes. What more do you need? Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think we're all guilty of thinking we have more time than what we do have because we think it's a given and nothing's a given. And you mentioned about the fact that you were this goal getter, so driven in your earlier years, the entrepreneurial route. How much of your life in the earlier days did you go down that entrepreneurial path? And what did that involve in terms of your entrepreneurialism to get you to that point of where you just said that clarity, that realization? Actually, is this fundamentally fulfilling me, us, and, and making us happy because fulfillment is a key to happiness and it takes courage to have happiness because a lot of people live in the shadows of fear. I'd, l- I'd love to unpack that a bit more in terms of your entrepreneurial journey. And you mentioned that shift in terms of mindset. It's a great question. I think about it a lot. I find myself to be extremely self-aware. My, my mother said that was one of the qualities that she knew I had. <laughs> Maybe. A lot of them might be fleeting, but that one she knew. She's always like, you know when you mess up and you know when you're a bad guy and you know when you're a good guy, but it doesn't mean you're going to change it. You are. <laughs> and for me, I've always been the type of individual who's had to live it, who's had to breathe it, to had to be it. And then for me to take a step back and say, is this what I actually want for the rest of my life? It ha- and it happened in my very younger days, just from my early 20s, and I was partying every single day and I was you know, lucky enough to be able to do something. I was in the nightlife and I, I lived a nice six, seven years, four or five nights, six nights a night partying. Someday I woke up and I said, this is not for me. And I lived like six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, 13 years of just grinding. And I woke up and I said, listen, when is enough is enough? When is enough? And, and, and that's a big question I think people need to ask themselves on a continuous basis, right? This idea of success, something that bothers me a lot about it is that it becomes extremely finite for people, right? You ask somebody, what's their idea of success? They have an answer. Well, this idea of success for me changes all the time. It's fluid. Right now, the idea of success for me is to be with my daughter and see the world and experience the world through her eyes. Five years ago, it was to get the G-Wagon, right? (laughs) Three years ago, it was to build a legacy brand, right? Ten years ago, it was to party and, and, uh, and do a lot of things that we don't need to mention on this podcast, right? (laughs) This idea of success changes continuously and if i allow if i allow myself to have that understanding that success will and can the definition of success will and can change for me life is way easier <laughs> it is and did your entrepreneurialism success give you that freedom to make those choices because so many people live in that golden cage where their kind of wings are clipped because they've got the mortgage, they've got the rents, they've got 
a certain financial obligations and they think, yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, one day, one day I'll do that. But you then reach the point where it's not one day anymore, it's day one because we can't. Yeah, that's the toughest question when I have conversations with individuals who are, how do you do it? What do you do? What's the sauce? And at the end of the day, you got to work your ass off to be able to live the life that I want to live. But that's why I always stem back to that happiness threshold. Find out what your happiness threshold is. Maybe you only have to work half as hard as me or a quarter of me. If you and your wife and your husband or your daughter or whatever it may be want to go live in a van and travel America, guess what? 20 to 30 grand a year, you're good. If you want to be doing what I'm doing, it's going to come up a little bit. And if you want to be doing what Elon Musk is doing, you got to come up a little bit. So there's this kind of I, the scale that you have to find yourself on. But that's a, a long-winded way of saying, for me to get to where I am, to where I feel like I'm happy, I had to work very hard. And I had to have a lot of luck. And I think that anybody who says that success comes without luck is dreaming. Yeah, totally agree. It's good timing. And you need luck. Is that saying when people often talk about generals, that there's that saying that says, give me not good generals, give me lucky generals. And, and we all need that. We all need that as luck. And without it, it's, it's very difficult. But it's interesting that you did stuff. You were a CMO. You, you entered in terms of startups, scale-ups. You were a real estate investor, all those kind of things that's come about. We're living in an age now where, as Warren Buffett said, if you're relying on your salary, you're one step away from poverty. And you've got to have those multiple streams. Is, is the young wolf looking after the older wolf? Kind of cliche. The young Michael, the young wolf Michael has done enough to now look after the older wolf Michael to live the life that you want, your best life in having those. You've got to... A lot of different countries. How many have you actually gone to now? In my life, I can't count. In the last two years since we started this journey, over 15, almost 20, I think, at this point, in the last two years. And has that been across different continents? What's been the spread of those countries, would you say? As of right now, everything besides Africa. Oh, no, we went to Africa. We were in Morocco. Yeah, so basically every continent, because at the end of this trip in Dubai, we will be making our way to Southeast Asia and then moving all the way up into Japan. So we're home, we're, we're trying to cover the world here. <laughs> that's, so, that's so cool. And, and how long do you tend to stay in a place, Michael? Is there a pattern to your traveling where you position yourself on a particular continent in one or two countries? What's the kind of strategy in how you travel? So every single country we visit, even city, I should say, not even country, we stay for one month at a time, and then we slowly make our way to a new country. Um, the reason why we stay for a month at a time is not only because we have a daughter, which is difficult to just bounce around, but we're also working and living our life. It's not just about, hey, how many sites we can see. And then also, most importantly, I... I'm doing this to be able to understand myself better. And I feel like the way that you understand yourself better is by understanding people better. And you're not going to change the world or your mindset by staying in a corner. 
you want to be able to meet as many people from different walks of life as you possibly can. At least I would like to. And the more and more people that we meet, the more and more I find out how similar we all are. And to me, that's a fantastic realization that this idea of this narrow mindedness that I think a lot of us are going through, a lot of us are, the culture is going through on the Western side, we're this, you're that, we're red, you're blue, to me is a bunch of bullshit, to be very honest with you. We are all here doing the same thing. And unless you're that point, I'm not even talking about 1%, unless you're that point zero 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 zero, I don't even know how many zeros you want to add to that, Johnny, with a one at the end, percent of the people who are making these decisions that dictate our lives, let's all be friends. <laughs> because I don't care if you got 20 million, 100 million, or 20 grand, we're all in the same boat. Start putting 50, 60, 70, 80, and a B in front of that, and maybe you'll start entering the conversation. Until then, we're all the same. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what country you live in or what nationality you are or what upbringing you have. I truly believe that most people want to be good. There are obviously some bad seeds out there, and you, you want to move them along in your life. But at the end of the day, if I look at you and I look at the color of your skin or the, the check mark that you put on that ballot, that voting ballot, and I have an issue with you because of that, there's something definitely wrong with me. Because often in life, we are a product of our environment. We then have to make a choice whether we're going to repeat some of the mistakes or some of the stuff that we've been taught or actually say, you know what, for my kids, for my life, it's going to be different. I'm going to do it different. I'm not going to go down that path. I didn't like it. I didn't appreciate it. And the problem is so many people, we live in our micro bubbles where mo when the herd moves. So 85% of people follow fitness as opposed to move and shake stuff. And because you're traveling, because of the way you've led your life and how open-minded you are, because the kind of life you've led, let's face it, being this go-setter, successful guy, being a CMO, an entrepreneur, real estate investor, and then you go into my, my master chef, a cooking show, which I truly love, and then you're doing the, the whole traveling as well. It shows your open-mindedness and your love for life and embracing all things about life. It's going through that journey of discovery, isn't it? And I find that fascinating. Uh, I get emotional because it's <clears throat> not for myself, but for so many people that I see out there that are letting life just pass by in front of them. <clears throat> and uh, it's scary. I mean, it is scary. And if people just take a moment and truly just take a moment Look in the mirror, have a strong conversation with yourself. You know, it's tough to look in the mirror nowadays. No one's looking in the mirror and having conversations for some reason. I don't know what that is. And if you're lucky, you'll make it to 70, 80. If you're unlucky, you're getting hit by a car when I leave this podcast later. <laughs> so I either got 40 years or an hour, right? Both of which I don't like. And because of that, I have to live my life, man. Johnny, I have to live my life. And people are not doing this. And it's scaring me. I, I, I look around and it's scaring me. What are they doing? They're being a passenger. 
as opposed to being a driver. Yeah. And that's the sad reality. And they go down the if lane of if only I did this, if only I did that. And the problem with if, it never comes. Whereas you're saying, screw it, if I'm going to go for it. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I, I can't remember where I saw this. I saw this the other day. And somebody asked this guy and said, what's the biggest like money fallacy, economics fallacy that people have, mindsets, right? This the, the, the biggest mindset mistake when it comes to money. That's what it was. And he said, everybody is scared of going broke and is not realizing that they're dying. So it's like, where? what's going on here, right? Okay, you might go broke. I get it, right? And you don't want to throw the bath out, but you're dying. We're dying right now. Tomorrow I wake up one day older, one day closer to death. Put it on the line. Go live your life. And don't live it for anybody else. That's what terrifies me the most. I have these long conversations with people who they stick to their home and let's call it a diaspora for a lack of better words. I grew up in a diaspora in Iran, right? Very close family. My grandparents and my mom and my dad. And every single day till this day, all of my dad's brothers and sisters go to his mother's house every day, have dinner, and go home. Four of them every single day, okay? That's the life. They like that. That makes them happy. That doesn't make me happy. So when people say, don't you want to be around your parents? Don't you want to be around your dad? Don't you want to be around your mom? See, of course I do. But guess what? That's not what makes me happy. What makes me happy is to see the world. And I'm seeing myself slowly change. There's some evolution happening as I'm getting older, as I'm missing my father and missing my mother as they're getting older and older. And I see myself gradually having conversations with myself about what that looks like and how do I set up a plan for long term so that we can be around each other more. But I'm not going to move to L.A. and be closer to my dad and closer to my mom unless that's exactly what I want out of life because life is so short. It, it really is. Sorry, um, I don't mean to preach. <laughs> no, it, it, you're hitting real bonds here because so many people live a life of other people's values, other people's limitations, and you're living what you want to live. And, and it's really interesting in terms of this journey you've been doing for the last two years proper in terms of traveling quite around the world. Did the social media side tie in with in terms of documenting it both in terms of memories and stuff that your daughter can look back. Look at daddy, look at mommy, look what we did, this and that, and everything's all there. And was it also intentional in terms of you? You know what? I'm actually going to try this as well in terms of making content, getting my message out there, living the life, documenting it, blogging it, and see if people are interested or not, because it's had a huge impact, 100 million views. Yeah, so... I'm a marketer at heart. All the entrepreneur businesses that I've been a part of, I've been the marketing leg of all those different businesses. So I'm a storyteller at the end of the day. And I, and I know how to tell a story. I know how to communicate to an audience. So when we started traveling, I thought, why don't we document it? We're doing something extremely interesting. First and foremost, not only can we inspire individuals to do it, we're going to be able, like you said, document it for ourselves and for our, our child. And if I can monetize it, great, right? <laughs> Yeah, why not? Even 
and even over the last six months, we've been going through an extremely, I think, crazy experience where we've allowed a travel guide AI, which is basically an artificial intelligence travel guide that you speak to on your WhatsApp, pick every single country that we visit and what we do in those countries. And it's been a quite the experience. I didn't wow. pick Dubai. I didn't pick Morocco. I didn't pick Spain. I didn't pick Montenegro. I didn't pick any of these that I've been in the last six months. The Guide Geek has been picking all of them. <laughs> How fascinating. See, so like leaving this app to choose for you. So I'm going here. And it meets to all these different countries. How do you manage as a family do that? It's, people find that people are maybe listening to this, God, these, they're brave. It's difficult enough when you have a new one. We'd like to get our parents helping, extended support. They're traveling the world with the young ch child. How do you manage as a family? And what's been the ups and downs of all these travels? So first and foremost, um, traveling with a family It's an interesting way of looking at it, but I truly believe that the reason why I'm able to travel with my family the way that I do is because we're all best friends. Me and my wife are best friends. My daughter is now my new best friend. My wife is my daughter's best friend. We love hanging out with each other. Do we get sick of each other? Yes, and that's why there's bars. I go to bars. I leave the house. <laughs> but if you like one another and you want to hang out with each other, it's not that difficult. And I think programming where you're going around children is also extremely important. And also, like I said earlier in the conversation, we stay one month at a time specifically for my daughter. One of the major reasons. If you want to land in a place and try to see 50 sites in, in five days with a kid, that's very difficult. If you want to go and rent an apartment or a home and have ample space and a kitchen and you want to live your normal life that you would live just in a different country, it's not impossible. And I think people kind of mistake that with what I'm doing, right? I'm traveling to different countries and embedding myself in the culture as if I was a local so that I can truly understand what these people are about, what do they represent, what are their ethos and their values, how do they eat, etc. And at the same time, we come back home and I watch Netflix at 9 p.m. at night. You know what I mean? And I go to sleep at 10 and I'm up at six and I start working again, right? I'm living a pretty normal life. I just happen to be doing it in different countries. That's really interesting. See, the structure and discipline is still there. It's just that you are on this discovery journey around the world in terms of what you're doing as a family. And I love the way you said the way you hang out, be best friends. And then you have your own little outlets as well when things might be a little bit prickly because you spend so much time together. We all can have that. D do you see this changing though, Michael, as your daughter grows older in terms of schooling, this lifestyle? Has it got like a time span that you can do this before things become a little bit more challenging? Yeah, I, I do. I don't want to get too political, but I, I do fear where schooling and specifically public schooling is going in America. I'm not too sure about how it is in Europe. I have to do a little bit more research on that. But I but I do truly believe that I have some lifelong friends. I remember my childhood because of the social aspect that I had and 
and growing up and skateboarding and having a home and having my room and being able to decorate it. And, and I don't want to strip that from my daughter. I think stability is important. That being said, more studies that we've been reading is that putting your child in school at a very early age from the age of, let's say, zero to five is actually detrimental to the child's well-being in the long run mentally. When originally I was a little bit scared of not putting my child in, in a daycare like all my other friends where they have now they have a bunch of friends, right? All these kids. My child doesn't. But I realized that I was looking at it from an adult's perspective. I want to be in school. I want to be hanging out with friends, right? My daughter might possibly want that. But what she needs is really one-on-one -on -one coaching, one-on-one -on -one parenting. And that's what we're able to give her. And that's... I from what we've seen in the studies is that's going to be a long lasting effect, positive effect on her in the long run. So to answer your question, I think we can go until five years old. And then from there, I have to pick a place to live and settle down and, and, and get a home. And so that she could have a school, whether it, may, it might be, maybe I still have that bug and it's six months here, six months there, but there'll definitely be uh, a more of a stable life. Now, where that's going to be, I don't know, but that's another bird that I'm killing with this stone of traveling, right? This is allowing me to see, a bunch of different cities in a real way. And I don't know where I want to live right now. I don't know if I should say that out loud. And my family's going to watch this. And everyone thinks I'm coming back to LA, but I don't necessarily don't know. I really can't say that answer. Yeah. It's an interesting one because they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. But then if that absence is not quite there where your eyes are opened up by possibilities instead, and like in your tagline, no fixed address of where this goes. I'm going to ask you, out of these countries thus far, any particular favorites that stand out where you think, not only do I like it here, we've had an awesome time as a family, but that could be a contender for me if we do settle down. It's like a I like what it has to offer. Yeah, there, there's definitely some countries that I can see myself living in. Not necessarily do I call my favorite place. I think all countries are extremely special in their own right. But yes, I do definitely see some countries more than others. I think Spain is definitely up there. I like the lifestyle. I'm a city guy. We were in Barcelona for a month just to be able to walk down grab some tapas and go grocery shopping and grab a bottle of wine on the way home all for 20 bucks is nice. And I'm also definitely extremely afraid of traffic. Growing up in LA, I started doing some calculations about how long pe different people I knew state were, were living in a car their whole life, right? Doing some prediction calculations. They spent an hour on the way work, been an hour on the way back. Some of them were getting close to a year in a car <laughs> throughout the span of their life. And that yeah. is not okay with me. So I, if wherever we end up going, it has to be somewhere where I can just, I don't need a car. I'll, maybe I'll have a car as a luxury, but I just want to come down, go to the grocery store, say what's up to my local bar, have a bottle of wine, grab some flowers for my wife on the way home and a toy for my kid. That's a good life. La Dolce Vita kind of dream that people have. I've traveled quite a bit in terms of Europe, etc. I spent some time in LA twice as 
staying in Brentwood uh, a month at a time. But in Europe, there is that kind of dreamlike feeling towards places where you go, say the Amalfi Coast, and you see this olive and spice shop, and you see the locals living their life and everything else, and the way they interact, and they're playing games, and the life, the pace of life is so much slower, and they're actually interacting with one another. Whereas when you're in London, which I often say is the capital of the world in terms of cosmopolitanism and, and everything they has to offer, but it's a rat race, and it gets hard, and you're trying to live that life, and, and all of the major cities are all going through it. But the likes of Mallorca, the likes of Sardinia and stuff like that, where you've got the nature, you've got maybe less traffic, you live in life, you live in the moment rather than just this constant treadmill, like your penguins on a treadmill where you're going from one bin to another. One day goes into one week, one week becomes one year, anything where they all go. So I, I love that kind of perspective. You've got that well, you mentioned it earlier, that awareness, which is so important. So you're very conscious. Yeah, you're having a conscious living in terms of how you're living your life and that of your family. When it comes to surprises, has there been surprises that you've encountered in your travels or maybe even in, in your career to date where it, it surprised you or taken you by surprise? Many specific incidents, I'd probably say, day in and day out, surprise me. From a traveling perspective, I think what surprised me the most is that every single country is just as beautiful as the next. This Anthony Bourdain type of mentality, right? It, they all have really great food. They all have great architecture. The, they all have beautiful oceans, if not beautiful lakes, if not beautiful rivers, right? There's no discrimination from how beautiful one country is to the next. What's made the most impact on me is the ones that I've made long relationships with, deep relationships with. And those countries end up being places that really stick in my heart and stay for a very long time. And if you take that kind of mentality and you put it into your everyday life, it's fascinating to think, and it takes me back to something that my father said growing up as a child. He always said, I've been broke, I've been rich. The only thing that's mattered in between all of that is the people that I've surrounded myself with and the relationships that I've had. If you have good relationships with good people, you're going to live a good life. So true. You can have good people around you. Yeah, when you reach a certain age, after 40 or so, for those of you listening that are much younger, you think that's a bit of a dinosaur age, maybe showing my one, you're lucky to count your good friends on one hand. You can have a lot of acquaintances, and you can have a lot of passing ships of night that come through your life, but there are those people that leave their footprints all over your heart, your best friends, your family members, whatever it might be, that touch you. And, and I love what your dad said. When it comes to food. And I know you said off air, I'm not a chef. I've done many things because I talked to you about MasterChef kind of and, and your, your appearance on that second season and where you actually finished sit. It shows your multi-talented kind of nature that you have. You're one of those types, one of those irritating types that some people might say, he's just bloody good at everything. He does marketing, he does entrepreneurism, he's traveling, he does cooking, he's a great communicator. Ah, but no. And food is so intertwined with traveling though. 
If you see any, a lot of the, because I'm a real foodie and I love to watch a lot of these kind of YouTube channels, you see these professional food eaters or, or traveling programs. It's so intertwined. Wherever they're traveling, people are looking at what they're eating. You've seen that Eva Longo, Longoria, I think her name is, in doing her CNN travels along Mexico. And food is so center-based. I'm half Iranian, half British. You're from Iranian background is so interfaced with family, with communicating with friends, world over, and especially with Iranians, then how's that taking you in your travels wherever you've gone in the world? All the diversity of the food, the cuisines, and was that something you really loved in terms of why you actually went on MasterChef, or was it just one of those things, I'll do it because I can and I'll see how good I am at cooking, even though I don't really want to be a chef. Food has always been an intricate part of my life, a very important part of my life, I should say. Um, as you said, growing up in an Iranian household with, in, in a diaspora, to be honest, where every single day you're just surrounded by Iranian people going to Iranian parties. Food is our language. We speak through food. We speak while we're eating food. We speak while we're making food. It's just food always coming in and out of this house. And so from a very young age, food was very important to me. I don't remember what the, the love languages are, but food is definitely my love language, even if it's not on the list. I'm just telling you right now. And so it's been a very important part of my life. And, and when I left L.A. at the age of 17 and I was going to university and I'm basically by myself without basically uh, living by yourself, going to university, as we, can, as we all know, is having a champagne budget with hardly any money in the bank. So I had to learn how to cook and I learned how to learn how to cook the food that I liked <laughs> and what I was used to in LA growing up in Calabasas. And so I ended up teaching myself just YouTube and, and figuring it out. And that's how I ended up on MasterChef because I, I felt like I know, I felt like I knew I can do it. I know I'm not classically trained, but I felt like I knew I can get far and I did. But yeah, it's interesting. I think that most cultures that are most cultures that are really ingrained in family like iranians south americans specifically my wife is colombian their family's always together right food is a very important factor to all this and i hope i get to pass that down to my kid right even when we're cooking i'm the cook in the house and my wife doesn't cook anything zero and if she does she burns it hopefully she doesn't hear that but it's the truth <laughs> When I'm cooking in, in the kitchen, I want I, I ask her, okay, come over to the kitchen, hang out in the kitchen with Penelope. Let's let me show her how I'm making this food. And she comes and we chat and we talk about the day and it's all revolving around food. Can you want to try this pasta? You want to try this sauce? And I, I think food is a very beautiful thing and it's a language that we all can understand. I've been to countries all around the world. I've had iguana in the south of Nicaragua. I've had tortillas made in the north most part of Guatemala. I've had Arabic food in the deserts of Dubai, and, and I've had most of the time I'm having these types of food with people who do not speak a lick of English, but we're laughing, and we're loving, and we're sharing, and we're connecting, and that's because of the food. I was sitting there without anything in front of us but a glass of water. It'd be a pretty awkward <laughs> It's so true in, in what you say. And... When you are on MasterChef, did you do Persian cuisine, Iranian cuisine, or what were you, were you doing different types of cuisines when you were cooking? I actually, self-admittedly, for all of the Iranian viewers out there, am very bad at cooking Persian food. 
My grandma is. <laughs> yeah, I'm extremely bad at cooking Persian food, and I and I'm not sure if it's because I'm intimidated by it, maybe because I grew up with powerful matriarchs that cooked the best food that there ever was. And it just seems extremely complicated to me. And I don't want to even get near and ruin what my, but the, the palate that I remember and I have whenever I'm about to go eat some Khorish Ademe or Khorish Sabzi or whatever it may be. I don't want to screw that up for me, but no, it's mostly all international cuisine, American, Italian, Spanish, a lot of South American food. What's your go-to comfort food on your travels? What's, yeah, let's do that. Let's have that. <laughs> I like all foods. I, every kind of food comforts me. You can tell me, let's go get a burrito right now. I'll go get a burrito. We were having, we were having dinner at this beautiful restaurant called Moonrise, which is a rooftop Michelin restaurant in Dubai over here. And... I'm talking 10 courses, the most beautiful, intimate 12-seater where you're talking to the chef. You can't even pronounce what these dishes are, let alone every single one. You want to take a photo and put it up on your wall, like that kind of restaurant. I was loving every single bit of it. You know what? Guess what? Afterwards, I was a little hungry. I went and had a burger afterwards. Kill me, right? So it's like, I go, I'm a big, high, low guy. It doesn't matter where it goes, where it lands in between. It tastes good. Give it to me. And I'll try everything once. Most of the time, twice. That, that's really good because people can be quite fixated in terms of their choices and preferences and a little bit adverse in trying something totally new. Would you love, if you could, and if we go down kind of fancy lane, to travel up and down Iran on your travels? Imagine documenting that, the diversity of the cuisines from north to south to east to west. Pearl in the Middle East that a lot of people still don't know as much about in terms of what the real Iran is. And I think you mentioned Anthony Bourdain with his CNN program. He actually went to Iran, didn't he? From my from my memory. Yeah, so I've been to I've been to Iran when I was 17, 18 years old. I spent two or three months out there. And it was the first time and last time I've ever been. And the connection to the land was so real. It was terrifying, Johnny. I'm what we call very whitewashed individual. I grew up like skateboarding and snowboarding and eating hamburgers and stuff like, like that. I grew up in L.A. I'm an L.A. boy. But when I went to Iran... I felt this kind of wave of emotion come over me that I was not really expecting. It was pretty surreal. And to answer your question, it's if one, if not the most beautiful country in the world, from top to bottom, it's fascinating. And the stigma that it gets is unfortunate. We don't need to get into that, obviously. But it's absolutely gorgeous. The food is amazing. And the people are phenomenal, right? In general, we are very nice people. So maybe not to each other as much as we probably should be, but at least to other people. When I went there, so I lived there for four years when I was a child, and then I went there twice in my 20s. And people, the, the amount of food, and they would offer as much as possible, and they're all saying, oh, do you like it? And everything else, so hospitable. It, it's unbelievable. 
And Iranians love it because they love life. They love their life. And food is an intrinsical part. What's been the kind of highs and lows of your Korean life today, would you say? If you had to put them down in your mind, the real highs and maybe some of the lows that there's been. Yeah, because my career and my life are intertwined so much throughout my whole life, I've, I've done that purposely. They go with each other, fortunate or not. Lowe's, I, I do have a big regret of not, I haven't shared this with most people, but I do have a big regret of not spending more time with my grandfather when he was here. Um, on my dad's side, he picked, they picked me up from school every day. I spent a lot of time with him. But on my mom's side, a very powerful individual, very smart, very strong, put the city on his back and, and, and take them across the desert type guy. And I remember when I was in adolescence in my early teens and I was going through a bad patch and I was being a bad kid, for a lack of better words. I was going down the bad route. I remember he used to try to set up these dinners with me. And I just have one-on-one -on -one dinners with me. And I used to complain. I used to go. And I used to hate it. And I, and after he passed, I said, like, you can't get that back. And that's a big low for me. A big, big learning lesson for me. One that you probably never want to learn. But if you can avoid it, obviously you do. But if you can't, you're never going to make that mistake twice. But highs, I can say the cliche of my daughter being born, which I think is an obvious answer, but I think highs is, is a generality for me to be able to live, live my life on my own terms. My mom texted me the other day and she sent me Frank Sinatra my way. She said, this song reminds me of you. That's the biggest compliment you could ever give me ever. Okay. <laughs> and you're so full of life. You're the kind of guy that makes you feel good when you're listening to you. Yeah. You just got that you can tell you, you are really living the best life you can. And nothing's perfect. And there's never, every day can be a great day or a good day. Stuff happens, but is that perspective been alluding to what you said about your granddad? It's like, all right, it's a bit of a shitty day. But as long as you've got your health, you've got your wealth, that'll be your family. And you can go again, you can fight again uh, another day. So what's the dream with all of this, Michael? What's the dream? Where do you want to take this? Because you, you're obviously phenomenally good at marketing, social media. You're a successful entrepreneur at heart. What's the dream with what you're doing? It's such it's a loaded question. It I is. have a lot of dreams. <laughs> you know, I, not those kind of dreams, Michael. No, I'm, <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, jokes aside, I, I like to hedge my bets, right? I got a lot of dreams going at the same time. One of them I hit, I'm fine. I'd love to do this professionally and have a show and be able to show the world on a mass scale what it's like to eat and meet new people all around the world and, and vicariously live, have people live through me somewhat like I vicariously lived through Bourdain when he was around. God rest his soul. Um, I have a dream of um, being a real estate mogul. I have a dream of just being happy. I have a dream of my daughter being happy most and foremost, right? Most importantly, I, I have a dream of my daughter being happy most importantly. Um, there are many dreams, Johnny. And I think if you stop and subject yourself to one dream 
for your one life, you're making a big mistake. Split them out there. Throw them all out there and go for all of them. You got to hit one, right? And if you hit one, you might hit two. And guess what? That's awesome. And what's great about it, you, 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 you can see how you don't like to be pigeonholed. You like that sense of freedom or exploring different bits. It's not just fixating on one aspect. It's that curiosity. Curiosity is one of the key ingredients to success, actually, folks, because those people are more curious in terms of getting on, discovering, and stuff like that. Good things tends to happen. One of the hardest lessons I think people need to learn is that you can try your hardest and you can still fail. And that's hard to realize and, and most importantly, hard to accept. And that comes with business and it comes with your wife, your daughter, your friend, right? You can put it all and you can still get a divorce because guess what? She doesn't want to be with you anymore, man. And that sucks. And you put your everything into it and it sucks. And I get it. But I always go back to that idea of not pigeonhole, pigeonholing myself and allowing myself to just try as many as I can. And if I fail, it's okay. I go back to that Chinese proverb of the, of the farmer, right? Have you heard that Chinese proverb of the farmer where he's a farmer in a very small town and one day he has one horse, he's very poor, and that one horse runs away and, and it doesn't come back and, and the town goes, oh man, I'm so sorry, that was the one horse that was allowing you to plow the land, what are you going to do, this is so bad. He goes, maybe. So what do you mean maybe? Your one horse is gone. Maybe it's bad, maybe it's not. The next day the horse comes back with eight horses and the town's, oh my God. Look at that. Now you have eight horses. You're so lucky. This is amazing. You're going to be able to plow so much land. He goes, maybe not. The next day, the sun's going on the horse. You try to train the horse, train the new wild horses. Falls over, breaks his leg. The town comes around and says, oh, my God, your your son broke his leg. This is absolutely horrible. Maybe. The next day, the army, the China's going to war. The town's going to war. The country's going to war. The army's, the government's coming in. The army's coming in to recruit all the young boys to go to war. Guess what? They can't take his son because his son's leg is broken. And so the moral of the story here is that everything that's bad or good, it comes to an end and something else is birthed. So if something bad happens to you or you fail at something or something unlucky happens, just think that there might be something great around the corner and it's okay. It's okay. You're going to be okay. If At the very least, you're going to be okay. At the best, you're going to be better off. You can tell how good you are as a storyteller and communicator. The way you can tell things. Is, and it's an important quality because even relaying that story, the, the way you do it and how you do it and the way you speak is one of the things that I tell people when I'm coaching them and stuff is storytelling and communication skills is vital. It's vital. You need to be able to have that art of communicating. With business, we can all get better. When I came to the UK, I couldn't speak a word of English. I used to speak perfect passive better. Went the other way now. But it is important because we're hardwired to receive stories. Ever since caveman times, human beings are hardwired to receive stories. And to be an effective storyteller can take you a long way in life, especially what you're doing. And as we're wrapping up this podcast... And coming to the end of it, I always ask this. And the question I'm going to ask you is, what would the Michael now tell the young Michael early on in your life? It's funny because I do that quote 
will my younger self be proud and will my older self be thankful? And so I think about that quite a bit. Um, And so to answer your question is just keep doing what you're doing, man. (laughs) I I think that's the biggest compliment I can give myself. I don't, I can dive in deep and we can have a full blown 10 hour conversation about all the intricacies and what stocks I should have bought. And maybe if I should have done better in school or I didn't ditch that much or whatever, there's there's a laundry list of shit that I fucked up on. And I'm not going to deny that, but at the end of the day, everything turned out. Okay. So just do what you're doing, man. And stop stressing. And by the way, if I did able to go back, I would say one sentence and I'd leave that man alone. (laughs) One sentence, do what you do, keep on trekking, see it a little bit. (laughs) That's superb. And just keep on going because a lot of people, that's the problem. They quit. They quit on themselves. They quit on their dreams and they give up. And most of the battle in life is just keep going. And hopefully there is light at the end of that tunnel. Or we just beat ourselves up so much about things, especially when we're younger. We consumed all this stuff. You know what? Relax. Exactly. See, you asked something specific. You said, what would you say to your younger self? And so what I think about when I hear that question, because I hear it a lot and I hear a lot of people answering it too. And they say, give you this advice and let me give you that advice. And when you hear these guys on the podcast and they're giving these like really in-depth advices to their this, this child, this hypothetical child. And it's the one thing I think about is, man, I loved my childhood. I loved partying. I loved screwing up. I loved failing in school. I loved being a, a playboy. I loved getting my heart broken. I loved it all. Like, it was cool. I look back on it now, and it was fine. Did I cry myself to sleep some nights? Absolutely. Looking back on it, it turned out okay. And so if I'm going to go back and talk to my younger self and and start coaching him with uh, a laundry list of things that he needs to be doing to make sure that he makes it out okay, guess what? I just robbed that little guy of his childhood. That's the only thing that I think about. (laughs) And that's a perfect way to, to, to end off. How can people reach out to you to, look, to see more of these videos, what you're doing, where you're going? What's the kind of best socials to reach out on you? And what's next for you in terms of the finale? Yes, it's just my name at Michael Motometi on Instagram, on YouTube, on TikTok. And Johnny's a really good example. I answer my DMs. You want to shoot me a DM? You want to shoot me a message? I, I'm all ears. What's next for me is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. And, and and this is the first time in my life when I've been able to say that because I've come from a place where it's been like a, a, a dream without a way to get, I don't know what the quote is, a dream without a way to get there is not a goal. I don't know, a goal without, what's that quote? You know what I'm saying? So I've always had an idea of this is what I want to get out of life. This is what I'm going to be doing for this period. I'm going to hit these milestones. I'm going to hit these goals. I have my vision board. I got everything going. It's like, all right, this is good. This is the first time in my life where I honestly don't know. And at first, it was terrifying not knowing where, what tomorrow is going to bring or the next year or six months from now. And now I'm like in this really interesting i feel like i'm in the matrix or outside of the matrix just like, it's okay let me swim in this uncomfortableness for a little bit it's okay this is strange but it makes me feel alive right my my wife always makes fun of me she calls me a little bit of a masochist because whenever we're by the water i'll swim i'll swim 
as far as I possibly can into the middle of the ocean until I am terrified, until I cannot breathe. I am so scared. I don't see anything but a little speck of land. I don't know what's below me or what's above me. And then I rush back. But that for that moment, I feel more alive than I've ever felt in my life. And I feel like I'm in this weird, this deep ocean, and I don't know what's happening. I just haven't swam back to shore yet, and I don't know when I will. And that's absolutely beautiful, because life is about being alive, rather than just going through the motions. What kind of life is that, really? I appreciate Earth. <laughs> yeah. Thank you ever so, time, uh, ever so much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating. I've really enjoyed it. And do check out Michael's videos, his socials. It's beautiful. It's really well done. It's really interesting. And until next time, I'm sure we'll get you on the podcast again to see where you're at next in the world. Thank you for having me, Johnny. I appreciate it.